0: Good evening and it's good to be back with you and as you know we're going through the book of Job and this evening we're going to look at Job chapter 16 so let's read that chapter together So it's Job 16 starting to read at verse 1 I've heard many things like these miserable comforters are you all well your long winding speeches never end what ails you that you keep on arguing I also could speak like you If you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved and if I refrain, it doesn't go away. Surely, oh God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have bound me. And it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger. He gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his pierced eyes. Men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn. And unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil men. And thrown me into the clutches of the wicked All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. I've sewn sackcloth over my skin, And buried my my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping deep shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been been free of of violence. And my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to god on behalf of a man he pleads with god as a man pleads with his friends only a few years will pass before i go on the journey of no return shall we pray Father, as we come to these words of Job, these uh, very what can be disturbing words, as we hear more of Job's suffering and Job's agony. And our uh, Father, we pray that through these words, Job uh, might speak to us; that He might speak Your Word, that we might take encouragement from this. And our uh, Father, we just commit this time into Your hands as we gather together around Your Word, and we gather in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we come to this chapter 16, and uh, it's Job's reply to Eliphaz's second speech. You know, Job's friends are still seeing Job's suffering as being the result of something that he has done to upset God. Therefore, his only option is for him to admit his wrongdoing and come to God with sincere regrets and remorse, so that God will be pleased with him and restore him to his days of posterity. They say, Job, you must repent. At this point, I think it's worth a while just considering this word, repent. As we will come across it in our Bibles, and it's with reference to the relationship that we have and that we can have with the Lord. But repent is also a word that is used in everyday language. So I went to the dictionary. Dictionary definition is of this. The action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse, the fact of showing that you are very sorry for something bad you have done in the past and with a wish that you had not done it. In short, it's because of regret, turning away from something with a feeling of remorse but the important thing is not just the turning away. It is what or who we turn to. And then it is about what we do when we turn away. Repentance of itself does not bring freedom from God's judgment. I'll repeat that. I think it's important to grab hold of this. Repentance of itself does not bring us freedom from God's judgment. You see, many will attend a place of worship, attend feeling the need to repent, and then they will leave feeling better, but still being under God's judgment. And many world religions see repentance as being quite rightly sorry for your actions, but then they see it as leading to a need for a personal sacrifice that hopefully will please the God or the gods that you worship, leaving you with the expectation of a reward of being accepted for our efforts so that our lives will improve This is really coming to God with a feeling of guilt and remorse, bringing to him an offering that has been of some cost to us and then asking him to show us favour on the basis of what we have done. And this alone does not bring salvation. It doesn't bring freedom from God's final punishment. We see from the scripture that salvation is given when we come to God, yes, in recognition of our guilt. Yes, turning away from the sin that is separating us from him, but then turning to him and turning to him in the name of Jesus. And then trusting in the power of his death and resurrection and in the truth that Jesus will present us to God in the power of what he has done and not in what we have done. And this does bring salvation. And it does bring freedom from God's final punishment. But it doesn't necessarily bring freedom from suffering while we are here on earth. Going into the New Testament, we see the message of John the Baptist was a message of repentance, which is a step towards salvation. You see, John's full message was repent, And behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And this is salvation. To repent, to behold, to look towards, to go to the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world through what he has done. You know, I was thinking of um, the hymn by... Uh, augustus montague top lady that is a fantastic name isn't it and one of the hymns that he wrote was rock of ages and i was just thinking of verse three when he wrote these words in that hymn nothing in my hands i bring simply to thy cross i cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace fail i too the fountain fly wash me savior or i die Salvation is by the power of the cross and it is given to us by God's grace. A true believer has an advocate who has conquered death. And this is part of what God is teaching us through Job's suffering. We know that Job is a forgiven believer. We know that he's trusting in God. But he's suffering, and he's suffering really badly. The disciples were believers trusting in God, and they suffered. Paul was a believer trusting in God, and he suffered. Down through the ages, Christians have suffered, and even today, Christians are suffering, not for their sins. Jesus suffered in their place for that but they are suffering for the glory of God and for the gospel. And this takes us to Matthew's words in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And as we saw last week, it was Jesus who suffered for their sins It's Jesus who suffered for the world's sins. It's Jesus who suffered for our sins, your sins and my sins. And it was all for the glory of God and the gospel. And the sufferings of Jesus are the only sufferings that can bring redemption. That is why he's the only one that a penitent sinner can come to for salvation. Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, once we've done this, there are times when we still need to come to God to seek his forgiveness. Now, this is not asking for salvation. Salvation, once we have come to him for that salvation, has been secured, and that is for eternity. But sometimes we need to come and seek his forgiveness as believers so that we can walk in God's continued grace in our lives. I'll go back to Job this evening. Job is a forgiven sinner who has remained faithful to God. His suffering is not a punishment for anything that he has done against God. And Job knows that. He knows that this is true. This is why he continues to refuse the advice given to him by his friends to come to God and repent. You see, they see him as a man being punished by God. And they see that his suffering is God's retribution for the sins in his life. And they will not let go of their assumption. And because of that, they continue to push Job towards doing something that for him to do would be tantrum to, to a ransom style request, a request for God to bless him, causing Satan to then be able to say to God, Job's so-called faithfulness to you is only based on the material things that you give to him. Take them all away. And see if he curses you. You know, sadly, the basis of many world religions, including some who claim to be Christian, is that you pay penance to your God when feeling regretful, regretful of your sins and your actions, and out of guilt bring to God an offering with an expectation that on the basis of that offering alone you hope that you have done enough for God to forgive. This kind of hope is no hope at all. You know, I'm thinking of another hymn at this point, a hymn by Edward Mote, way back in 1834. When he wrote that hymn, the original title that he gave it was this, the immutable basis of a sinner's hope. You know, that's good, isn't it? The immutable basis of a sinner's hope. And what was that hope? My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. So with these thoughts in mind, tonight we come to Job's reply to his so-called friend Eliphaz and the words that he has spoken to Job. Now last week I asked, what would we say to Job? Job, a faithful man struggling to understand why God is allowing him to suffer when so many others seem to be living troubled free lives. And last week I said a good answer would be to Job, Job, stand firm in your faith as your friends close ranks against you. So this evening, let's see how Job is doing as we come to Job chapter 16. Then Job replied, I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you. If you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet, if I speak, my pain is not relieved, and if I refrain, it does not go away. What is Job saying to them here? Not just to Eliphaz, but to The other two as well. Job is saying to them, you keep on singing the same old song over and over again. And it's a song that I already know. I know the words to this song. But the words, they might be true in circumstances, but they don't apply to me in my condition. And to me, they are really nothing more than wasted words. There are other things you could say. But why do you keep going on about me needing to repent? If we could change places and you were standing in my shoes, I could speak like you. But instead, I would want to bring you comfort. I want to comfort you and bring you some relief from your pain. Whether I speak or not, my pain is still the same. So in those few verses, we have a lesson from the sufferer for those who have come supposedly to help him. And it's a good point for us to stop maybe and consider that and think about the times that we have been in a situation where we have tried and sometimes in vain to bring comfort to someone who has suffered. But let's move on into verse 7 through to 14. And what we have here is Job's reference to what God has done to him. Surely, God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have shriveled me up and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me, my opponent, Fastens on me his piercing eyes. People open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to the ungodly and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He has made me his target. His arches surround me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys and spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. You know, to put that into short words, this is what Job is saying. He's saying to God, you've worn me out. You've taken my family and every material thing that I had. You've shriveled me up. You've taken away my health and physically I'm a broken man and and a terrible sight to look upon. You've turned me over to the the ungodly. You've taken my friends and left my enemies to gloat over me and sometimes come and assault me. You've made me a target. All of these things are aimed directly at me and you burst upon me. So there is no let up, it's just painful arrow after painful arrow you know the important thing to notice here in these distressing words of Job is that Job still sees that God has the right to take away as well as the right to give Job's faith will not let him let go of this recognition, the recognition of the majesty of who God is. He doesn't understand why God is letting this happen to him. He doesn't think that it's fair, and he at times speaks against it, but he's still looking to God for answers. What can Job do to ease his pain. Let's go to verse 15 through to 19. And he says this, I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. Job is admitting here that he's doing what he can to tend his wounds with desperate measures. This is to ease his pain. Inwardly, he weeps. Outwardly, he looks like death warmed up. And despite all of this, he knows that he is innocent. His conscience is clear. He continues to pray. He's still searching for answers. And he's still trusting. As his body weakens, you notice here that his faith isn't. As death is approaching him, his faith is beginning to strengthen and his hope is in God. And it's a hope that will extend to beyond the grave. And again, we need to stop and consider this because we need to consider the time frame in which all this is happening. All this is happening before the law was given to Moses, before John the Baptist, before the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But Job's hope is in the never-changing God. God is the same. Job's, Job's hope is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Remember what Job said in chapter 14. He said this in verse 13 and 14. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal. Say Job has a hope in the resurrection. And, you know, his hope is in, for him, things yet unseen. You know, Job didn't have the book of Hebrews like we do. Job didn't know what we know. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You know, Job is one of the ancients. And as we follow Job, let us commend him as God did in the book of Hebrews. Commend him for his faith. What faith? His faith in things unseen. Things that... He didn't understand things that hadn't happened yet, but his hope was a firm and secure hope in them because he recognised who God is. We've already seen how Job has seen the need for resurrection from the dead. He's not seen it happen. And the reality of it will not happen until Jesus, the Promised One, the Messiah, God with us, will come and will die and then rise again. But Job's hope is in that this will happen. We've already seen and we will continue to see Job's hope in an advocate, one who will stand in the presence of a holy God on his behalf, who will plead for Job's vindication. You know, obviously Job didn't have Paul's letters, but we do. And we refer it to quite often, that letter to Timothy 1, Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. So let's go to the final part of this chapter. Let's look at verse 20 through to 21, where Job sees the need for an advocate. He says, my intercessor is my friend. My eyes pour out tears to God. My intercessor is my friend. We could quote another hymn there. What a friend we have in Jesus. A friend who is there when all our other friends give up on us. Verse 2, on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. This is what Job needs. This is what Job hopes for. Job knows that God is the only one who can make these things happen. And this is what Job Job's hope is in. Remember again something that Job said earlier, this time in chapter 9, verse 33. He said, This, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. You know, this is what Job has. He doesn't know it, he doesn't understand how it will happen, but his hope is in things yet unseen and we come to the final verse this evening, verse 22 where Job says only a few years will pass before I take the path of no return you know Job here is ready to face death face death in the hope that he has in God let's just pray Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for the reminders that you have given us of the hope that we have. And the things that Job hoped in had not yet happened or been seen. But his hope was in the belief and the faith was in the fact that they would happen. Now, Father, we know that they did happen. And so we ask that you will just encourage us to continue to believe in the things that are seen and the things that are still to be seen. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Advocate. In his name we come to you. Amen. Well, you know, Job is ready to face death in the hopes that he has in God. And Job's words continue in chapter 17. He hasn't finished speaking yet. We're going to have a look at that next week. In the meantime, God bless. Bye now.